how does the answer become of, oh, the participating governance? No, I'm trying to build something. (laughs) Like, I I would love to be part of that. I participate in my own local governance in my town that I live in. I did that for a couple of years. I'm not against any of that stuff, but it is a time sink. And when I don't feel like it can be fair, I'm not confident, even with my stature in the community, I am not confident that I could run for a position and get fairly elected. It is something that is concerning. That was Joe Spano. This is a very special podcast because Joe joins me with his co-founder and co-host, Jared. You may know them from Ready Layer One or from Shardog or from anywhere else in the new ecosystem where they are both actively contributing. This is a very timely podcast because we had scheduled it for several weeks. We delayed a couple of times. It was merely a coincidence that a few hours before we were set to record, Joe fired a tweet which went viral. As of the time of this recording, that tweet has over 150 likes and countless retweets, quotes, bookmarks, comments, and it has sparked conversations that have been sprawling across many Telegram groups and have reached the very top echelons of the near ecosystem. On this podcast, we get a chance to dive deep behind what was the motivation behind the tweet. The first 45 minutes, we go deep and hard into all things governance and NDC. On the second part of the podcast, we dive deeper into who are Jared and Joe. I love this section because I'd got to know a part of them that I didn't know. They have non-linear paths that are very rich and they really help paint a picture as to where they're coming from and why they act and contribute in the way that they do. About one hour and 30 minutes in, Jared had to leave us to catch an international flight, and the remainder of the podcast gets more forward-looking, and we actually end up in a positive tune. Without further ado, I'll let you enjoy this wild and wide-ranging conversation with Jared and Joe. Enjoy. Joe's viral tweet. Joe. Oh, yeah. How many? (laughs) That's organic on a weekend. I'm like, jeez. In the near space? It was Saturday morning. I dropped it, yeah. Yeah. There's several things that stand out. First one is that it's a very long tweet. Super yes. long. It's like an essay. <laughs> it's like a blog tweet. That's like a blog post. It is. So totally. clearly it hits a soft spot or it hits a vein. I don't know what the saying is. And then people click show more and then they keep reading. And then they like, read, tweet, bookmark, and yeah. comment. It's going to limit everything. Why don't you summarize it for us? Jared and I have been talking back and forth for a while now about different funding and Jared's participating in the marketing DAO and we just talking about grants and everything else. And I've been, I would say, was active in lurking in the different NDC forums. Sometimes joining conversations, sometimes not. I finally hit my limit on Friday where I just had enough of hearing about all these different grants that were being put forward to both the marketing DAO as well as to the NDC. And just felt like my entire telegram was full of NDC stuff. It was nonstop that. It made me really reflect on not just what we're doing, trying to build Shardog and what we do with Regulator One, but also how many other projects that, I know that we've spoken to that we know of both personally and professionally who probably feel marginalized because all of the oxygen is being sucked in by the NDC. I wrote something and uh, I slept on it. I was like, no, I'm dropping it. I just, I needed to get it out. I don't think it's overly inflammatory. I felt like it was very honest 
and it was I was trying not to be hyperbolic in any way. I just really wanted to voice how we feel as builders and my frustration with the ecosystem. And clearly, it, the, there's a lot of people who feel very similar. And I think it was probably a long time coming that something needed to start to get the conversation going. And here we are. Yeah. I have to say, I was going to say this even before I read your post. I am just incredibly grateful that I have the two of you in the ecosystem and I can count you as close friends. Honestly, I think that without those close friends and there aren't that many, I would probably not be on near by now. Every startup is very hard. Sure. Decentralized startup, it's harder because the reality is every time that you're getting fucked over, it's literally just you. There's no team. There's no yeah. co-founder. There's nothing like as that you have each other, which is cute. <laughs> but yeah, it's those friendships and I'd say like alliances that you make along the way. I'm incredibly grateful that we formed that early independent media partnership. Totally. The second Absolutely. thing that I like is that you finally spoke out. See, I was thinking about, <laughs> Yeah. there is a book that I read in 2016 while I was working as a lawyer in Sydney. This is me trying to find a, an avenue to train. I think it's called something like The Anatomy of Scientific Revolutions. And I loved it because it's very much about innovation, but mm -hmm. in that context of the big scientific breakthroughs. It looks at things such as density, like the amount of people living in a concentrated space. Big cities have high open-mindedness, enough diversity, so everyone brings a different point of view to have those spaces to experiment. But there's many lessons that I've drawn from that when I look at the startup ecosystem and crypto specifically. That's why I travel so much. That awareness that you may be in a place that may not be as conducive. So I was trying to think of the anatomy of governance in general, not to call it a builder's revolution. And you can probably draw some anatomies here of like more recent phenomena. There's always someone that goes first. Maybe they are a bit more hyperbolic because they feel like they're raising the alarm and they need to get some attention. Yeah. And they always get crucified. Sure. You, know, you could be like an Alex Jones or like a Joe Rogan. But usually they say something that if you take away the character, it starts to resonate with more people. And then there are conversations happening in private. Nobody wants to say it publicly, but you start saying it in private, but not even with conviction. You're like, hey, have you heard what this guy said? Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And then there's more conviction privately. And then I guess eventually you have, let's call them more moderate people that come to the table not because they want to be in yet another political struggle, but because they just want to say, hey, this is where we stand. Like, yep. it's pretty much validation of that broader milieu of people. I don't want to see myself as a martyr, but everything you say resonates very strongly with me. It's been captured on the podcast for at least a year. Sure. I'm pretty much walking away from the NDC by now because, yeah, I'm that guy. I was going to say, it's interesting because Joe is not a hyperbolic guy. So when he sent that, I was like, whoa, like when Joe says something, it's thoughtful. Like I fire stuff all the time. Like we always joke, like I'll be canceled eventually. But Joe doesn't. He's thoughtful. And you can tell by the way you wrote that, Joe, it was really well done. And it wasn't, it was very like, because it wasn't hyperbolic is I, I think it resonated as well. Because what happens when a chain's main product becomes a governance project? It's pretty wild. We're watching it happen. You get a chain of admins. Like suddenly everybody's an admin. Like I've been, because maybe I, I like to dive into grants and like being part of the advisor. I've been deep in grants. Beautiful thing about grants is like, if you can understand the structure, you can start to really see what everybody's doing by how the grants are. 
you dive into grants, it starts getting pretty interesting. Suddenly it's, oh, it's 200 grand a month, but it's mostly admin. <laughs> it's, whoa, what happened? This chain used to be the one of like builders. I don't know. What you said, it'd be really also was part of my consideration too. Of, I think people like yourself have been very vocal for a while. And for whatever reason, I think it definitely inspired some, maybe put off others, probably gave you a lot of heartburn and headaches and everything else. And in our conversations that we've also had privately have also amplified some of the stuff, just like it was a reiteration for myself. Yeah, I'm not just feeling, I didn't want it to be like a pity party. I don't be like, oh, I feel bad. It's not about that because I think the difference here for myself is that maybe that's age myself, like 20 years ago. Yeah, maybe I would have been inexperienced and felt like, oh, I'm being left out of the party. But Jared and I don't necessarily need assistance. Like we are longtime professionals. We're both very skilled in what we do. And for me, it really was that like, if there is going to be all this money going out, all this attention happening, why is it going to this place? Why is it going to something that is not returning any kind of growth? It's not returning any time of tangible value right now. And it's not to say that I'm anti-governance by any means, but it just didn't feel like what was happening the right way. And where we're on a chain that is best in class in technology. And I feel it's not just me that like a lot of builders feel like we are second class citizens to this now governance project. And that's where that came out of. See, for better or worse, I am hyperbolic. Are you? <laughs> I never noticed. Uh, I gotta get more clips with silver. <laughs> yeah. Look, I totally get you. There's always been that tension between engineering and product and marketing, even before my web three days, the common wisdom was if your engineering and your sales team and your marketing team are not in the same room, that startup is going to fail. You cannot be selling a product you don't understand. The yeah. feedback loops between the product need to be very close. Like you need to be very tightly connected. So those problems only amplify significantly when you are decentralized. And I think that because engineers are doing whatever engineers do, we do have that issue of who's advocating for the builders. See, I, when I write the book, there is a betrayal somewhere. I don't know yet who, and I don't know if it was conscious, but there's a chain of trust starting from Ilya all the way down. I can yeah. tell you who he trusted in the marketing DAO. I can tell you who he trusted in the foundation. I can tell you who he trusted in Pagoda. There's a layer of trust. Whomever was in charge at the NDC of conveying the message, capturing the attention, the community's attention, getting buy-in, and with the buy-in, recruiting the best possible talent, either from existing community builders or outsourcing, that last chain of command failed. NDC fell flat. There has always been minimal to no engagement. And the only people that hanged around in a Telegram group, often because they were like moderators or they just were present in many groups as part of their tasks, they happened to occupy every role. And for many months, because no one's paying attention, everyone's getting paid. So you bring up a good point there. Like the, the thing that I was talking about, Joe, I was like, Joe, if you look at all the comments on a highly viewed thing, it's not a whole lot of people who are getting paid because that's where like governance starts getting tricky when people need the money 
or are getting paid. So you have a lot of the community that's either getting paid or hoping to get paid in the future, hoping to win a seat and get money. I love when people call me a grifter because in reality, I'm so bad at asking for money. Same. Dude, let me just tell you a secret. It's been long enough. I can say it now. In the last three months of the Eric era at the foundation, I got offered $15,000 per month to do some bullshit global onboarding UX research. I'm not going to say I didn't do the work because I worked on it and I had meetings with everyone at the foundation and Pagoda and I got pulled in with analytics teams and Ilya was there. I never invoiced them because the project was a clusterfuck. Yeah. And to me, out of self-respect, clearly over my head, like I wasn't the best person for the job. Eventually, six months later, they had a park manager. I left at least $30,000 on the table. Yeah. He leaves the foundation. I asked somebody who was still there three months later in March because I was literally broke. And they were like, yeah, it's probably not going to happen now. Same yeah. shit. You remember the podcast yeah. that we recorded that I asked you not to publish? <laughs> yeah. 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 It still sits on a hard drive. <laughs> I asked you not to publish it, ironically, because at the time, it seemed like I was going to go for a role at the NDC. Uh. I stepped back. Because I wasn't really doing much. I didn't have the time. There wasn't really that much to do, to be honest. The person who took it, who literally just st stayed around in the chats, who I don't have any evidence that they've done much, they've also been getting paid four and a half thousand dollars You know, all these months. Yeah, it's been a very... Whether you do work or you don't. Yeah. Marketing DAO. I stepped down two months ago. Now they're getting 4K a month. I've left $8,000 on the table. And I can tell you that I am still doing more for the marketing DAO while not sitting there than half the council members. My first month, I miss you, ABB. I was like excited that you were going to be part of it. I'm learning the ropes, getting that, <laughs> learning that world as an advisor. To me, it was perfectly honest. It was a forcing function. I thought that me stepping down and the community reaction, which was not unlike the reaction to Joe's tweet, I thought that people were going to say, hey, we're losing talent. We don't have any trust or any hope for the future of this DAO without the core contributors. We must do something. Sadly, it proved the complete opposite. It proved that once you get a seat, it is literally impossible to remove you. Yeah. That you can tell people to go fuck themselves quietly because you literally don't show up in any Twitter conversation, in any governance. I shouldn't be complaining because one of my proposals are in this batch. The last batch of proposals for the marketing DAO were approved without any marketing DAO console input. Right. Elliot just went in and said yes and no. And these people are still getting paid $4,000 a month. Side note, your videos are great. <laughs> Whatever you're doing lately. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if I was going to try to like, I try to think of the other end because I do think that there needs to be governance on L1s. I think that's going to be the taker down of chains. The tech is there, but I think the governance across a lot of chains, like if you go into other L1s, NL2s and some other, it's not great. Not even attempted. Most of it's just like super centralized. So something like this needs to be done which I think it's like the concept is there. How or who makes it like a actual positive? Because if you just get like a bunch of people doing admin work all the time, yeah, right now they're not like it's what, a couple hundred grand a month, five, 200 grand a month going in. But what happens when it gets real? Or I mean, I don't even know all the numbers. I just see some of the grants. Like I don't know how big it is. There's a couple of challenges there. The first one is, this is a very British concept. We've got it in Australia. I learned it in law school. I don't know how well it translates to other cultures, but the ones that it doesn't translate to, you can probably see how fucked up they are. It's called ministerial responsibility. You 
are ultimately responsible for everything that happens under your control. Whether you got briefed or you didn't, whether somebody fucked the secretary and took the money, you are ultimately in control. If you allowed it to happen, you must take charge and do uh, fix things up or you have to go. Because sure. if you were not able to stop it and you're not able to stop it going forward, you're not fit for leading. What we have right mm-hmm. now, it's a complete abdication of leadership where we just say the word community every time somebody points out you're not doing any work yeah. and you keep getting money from the community treasury. Yeah. That is a joke. And that's putting the centralization in very bad lenses. And that's why probably people keep going back to web two. Because nobody can or is willing to work in those conditions, unless you are the grifter. Okay. Right. I think, so going back, just looking at the feedback, some of the things on my post were, you know, one, you know, no one really from the NDC challenged or wrote anything really back. And on top of that, I, for me to then not have anyone really try to, I don't even want to say defend themselves, because I don't want it to come across as a necessarily attack. Really, I'm trying to put the burden on those in governance to actually better explain how this is going to drive things forward and what is the path actually for somebody like Jared and I who want to actually build here, who actually have not just, again, not just tech, we actually have a product that we're trying to build. We understand that whole concept of it. And then to the only response be back of when I challenged that of, oh, you can form a collective. Frankly, no one is insulting, but like, like proves my point. That's again of like, why when I'm trying to actually show off and build what's actually here in the ecosystem and have something that is, everyone complains that there's no web three product. There's no actual things. Everything is just a hobbyist or showing off some novel tech, but we're building an actual product. Again, it's early stages. And so again, I'm not so worried about money, but I'm like, how does the answer become of, oh, then participate in governance? No, I'm trying to build (laughs) something. Like I I would love to be part of that. I participated in my own local governance in my town that I live in. I did that for a couple of years. I'm not against any of that stuff, but there's a time sink. And when I don't feel like it can be fair, I'm not confident, even with my stature in the community, I am not confident that I could run for a position and get fairly elected. It is something that is concerning. And the fact that, again, that I have to possibly go that route to do that is just concerning for myself as well. So that's where I think there's just a huge disconnect right now. That is when I realized that we were lost. When you complain and the governance body that is failing at its goal and objectives and its duties, shifts the blame on the community. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's your fault because you have not been here for 11 months reading all these rants and tirades and a thousand documents without getting paid, by the way, because just reading all the documentation and commenting on them does not get you money. And by the way, the GWG rejected my retroactive bounty proposals. The ones that had been pre-agreed with Blaze, and I was encouraged to apply before I started talking shit, all rejected. Yeah. So to this day, I've been paid literally zero dollars from the GWG. But anyway, that's not the point. What I think that needs to be teased out here is what are the appropriate ways to participate in governance? Yeah. 
And I've been saying it since I was in Colombia and those calls are recorded in Zoom. And the people that were in charge and have been ignoring me all this time have some questions to answer. Nothing should move forward unless you go out there and you consult the relevant stakeholders. Put all this bullshit on pause and get on a call with Claudio from Metapool. Get on a call with Amos from MetaWeb. Get on a call from the scammer from Few and Far. Because I can tell you, none of these things would have moved forward. Oh, and by the way, the NDC had an interesting turn of events, which we would have to map historically, because the original design had a house of stake. It has some merits, it has some flaws, but that was the original design, and we could discuss that separately. I think that the main challenge that we have now is the one human, one vote element. And yeah, I think that it would be useful for the conversation if we actually try to identify like different areas of grievance. I always say, look, you may disagree with the way that people express themselves. You may disagree with the proposed solution, but you should never ignore the grievance. I think that one part of the grievance would be people's performance. Do we have the best people for the job or do we even need somebody for that role? The second part would be the remuneration. Are we remunerating people fairly for that role or overcompensating people, maybe creating negative set of incentives for those remuneration cycles? And then the third one is, are there any structural issues with the system being put in place that makes it impossible to break out from these negative cycles, which would probably right now be looking more at like the election criteria and one human, one vote, et cetera. I'll start with something that I guess has irked me from day one. So when you look at, I think the things like House of Merit, and I don't think the setup of having a transparency commission and a, a consulting, but I think those things are fine. What concerns me though, is what is the threshold to get in? And I get, again, it's supposed to be an election and people have to prove themselves, but it's a small ecosystem. This is your first go around. And what concerns me really a lot, in, especially the House of Merit, is that you're going to most likely have people who are evaluating grants and projects who have never built anything and understand what it takes. I'll fully say this again, 10, 15 years ago, I could not evaluate a project that someone coming to me and saying, hey, I need $100,000, I need $50,000 to do X, Y, and Z. I don't think I could have properly evaluated it without understanding how much time it takes for certain things, what things cost, the reality of the outcomes that you're trying to put out there. You need experienced people. And how do you get those people in there? How do you get somebody who understands DeFi to actually look at a DeFi project? I would not feel comfortable reviewing a DeFi project because I am not in finance. I don't understand all... I could look at some of the tech for you, sure. So those are the type of things when I look at the House of Merit, while it makes sense, but if you don't have the right people in place to do that evaluation correctly, you're back at the same place that you were before. 100%. I discuss this openly with Illuminati on my podcast with him yes. when we were still friends. Now we're still friends. I'm still friends with everyone. I think that misconception... It's like inception, right? The misconception starts from the governance working group themselves not having the awareness to then build in the right set of parameters to elect these people. See, the reasoning behind them have much lower remuneration, by the way, towards, say, a House of Merit member or a Council of Advisor than the current governance working group people. We're talking about a four, four X difference between what they expect to pay these people and right. what they're paying themselves. And what the reason is, oh no, 
they only approve or reject proposals. They don't do that much work. And I was like, look, mate, I'm going to explain something to you. As a former marketing DAO member, you can have someone who is in your ecosystem 24-7 and for each proposal, they have to go dig in through every rabbit hole because proposals are often poorly written. You need to test a product yourself. You need to go ask questions. You need to probe costs. There's just so much work that go into a proposal if you want to do it properly. Or you can just say, fuck it. I'll get paid the same regardless of the outcome. Yeah. And either you just approve it and let the money roll or reject it and someone gets fucked, assuming it was a good project. That is a mediocre take on it. And I agree with you, like that failure to understand just how much skills, time, expertise, patience. It's very hard to be a good money allocator. Super. And we can see this across every industry. Yeah. Even if you're like a venture capitalist, et cetera. Like it's not an easy job. So I think that would be on the people for the job task, but it gets worse. Who votes these people in? And by the way, they took me out of a chat where there is a brilliant exchange between one of our leaders from Africa and Blaze where I think the topic was how to make sure that some people win. And the fellow from Africa says, don't worry, Blaze, we'll get them in if we make the conditions friendly towards new community members. And then Blaze says, that's right, friend. Old community members can sit in the sidelines and bitch and moan, and we'll just steam ahead with the new community members. Who are these community members? I'm 24 seven in the community, I can tell you it's getting smaller. I think that's where the frustration comes in. It's not that there's not money available now for some things because everything can be deferred to V1. Is it the circumstances going into the election that will enable V1 are so dubious? Yeah. I always tell Joe, we'll probably succeed with Shardog in spite, not because of governance. There's no way to... Okay, so let's take a step back real quick. I look at it like, okay, it's turned into like UBI. And I'm okay with that. Cool. Community people getting paid monthly. I don't think any of this is like so much wrong. I think the system has enabled people's reactions. Most people are just like normal people trying to figure it out too with us. Like, how do I do this? Wait, what do I have to do? Okay, cool. I'll start a working group. I've had other chats where people are like, hey, the money's there. May as well get it, right? And that's like, sadly, what kind of sometimes happens. The bounty process for things to get made gets tricky because the people giving the bounties aren't working off bounties. So you have like two tiers of people, the people who get monthly pay, no matter what they do. And then the people who have to get bounties that are like net 45, net 60 payouts, which is wild. So that construct right there breeds and like, it's all game theory. You put those two there and you take incentives. Incentives are going to drive people's actions because we're all just like trying to figure it out at the end of the day. Some of these people need this money for a lot of different reasons. Like, I feel like if the, at the NDC was like, hey, listen, we are going to fund people who make toys. Suddenly, and Nier would have 500 toy makers because that's just how, like, incentives work. Horrible example, I apologize. But try to try to think of a super broad hey, one. Hey, Christmas is coming. <laughs> Christmas Maybe is coming. we'll actually find product market fit that way. Yeah. Sorry, that was my little rant. I go back to, again, for myself, thinking about all of this is really, you're trying to, trying to form a, a new kind of government. And to continually think about more of the act doing governance versus what you are actually doing is, con is continuing to be the hang up, I think, for most people in the community. Where I almost, again, I don't know what the right actual answer is, but at this point, I almost would rather have had 
a handful of people appointed to essentially run V1 on their own in a certain manner. And not just develop some guidelines like what the government working group did, but really actually get the ball rolling and see how that works. Because what's happening now is this experiment at the same time of governance of like fair voting, which I almost think is its whole own separate thing. Like you just brought up, okay, we're going to bring in new community members to actually make sure we can get the vote through. It's like, okay, so is this an experiment voting? And if you wanted these particular people, like, why are we structuring like this? Why the dog and pony show just to get to a particular outcome? If you just want a handful of people, say that's what you want to do. Give me a roadmap and a plan of what you're going to do with it. And then I can decide if I want to stick around or not. But it's not, the whole dance now is becoming tiresome for, I think, I definitely myself, and I am sure Jared feels the same. And I think you probably feel the same. Why? Why are we mincing words around this? If you just want this handful of people, just say what you're going to do. And then let us, let us, let everyone else say that you're going to fail or you're going to, maybe you're successful. Maybe those are the right people. I don't know. But I don't know. It's, it's I, there's a lot of different phrases about this, but really don't piss on me and tell me it's raining. It'd probably save a lot of money. Yeah. That's the thing. I don't, like, it might succeed. I don't think like, that's not the discussion. And that's what I like about it, Joe. You're so thoughtful that way. Yes. I want it to succeed. I don't want it to fail. That's bad. There's two really good points I want to touch on before we jump into some of the tech and the product, because I want to make sure that I dig your brains while you're here. And you're going to crop this some, right? This is like, just clean it up, or do you just let this run? We'll see how we go. (laughs) Don't be afraid to trim a lot of me. I trim a lot of me in our podcast. Uh, Yeah, we'll see how we go. So the first one is in spite of. And this is something that I went on a really good rant when the Talks and Near guy interviewed me. And I think I asked him to take it out. I don't know. It may still be there on YouTube. The reason why I get so passionate about this is because I've already seen it play out. I may have to go to a jungle in Peru and do some ayahuasca to deal with this trauma. People think Venezuela is a failed country, but it's not because it's got oil. And the people in government realized that they could literally do absolutely nothing and still be as rich as your mind allows you to be. The saying when I was growing up was steal and let's steal. Don't be fucking annoying. Don't be a little pussy being like, oh, don't take the money, build some roads. No, they do whatever the fuck they want because no one can take away the oil. People can leave their country. Companies can shut down. Everything can collapse and there will still be oil money. They figure that bit out. What are the similarities with Nier? The technology is good. So good. The entity knows. I mean, if you put them in a cupboard and no one looks at them, we'd be at four bucks now. Builders can opt out of the NDC, which is equivalent of migrating somewhere else. Most likely they'll still build on Nier. Yeah. If they want to have the user experience and the performance and the scalability. And this is where I get upset. Don't confuse our lack of options because we want to have an excellent product and an excellent user experience, and we believe in the long-term success of Web3 with us supporting these mediocre attempts at governance. So that's the first clash. And I've said it many times, and by the way, some high-level people agree with me, most likely NIR will get forked. If NDC actually takes over what the governance of NIR is, that's going to be another NIR because the tech is too good to fail. Yeah. And Joe's going to be there forking. Just kidding, <laughs> we'll just do the Joe chain. Yeah. I'm well, down for it. Not, this is like side note, but Joe, I was just real thinking about what 
Right now in the early stages of Web3, there's certain people that have 100x value in this space. And it's people like you. I think that's also why you're, because like you can build this stuff well. That is like, oh, sure, I can market it. I, I was telling Joe the other day, I was like, I think my job right now is just keeping Joe excited. Because it's because that's that's the 100x person right now. 10 of you, much more important than a, Joe? a thousand of me. Huh? Joe plug the key pump team. There's a few other people working yeah. with Chloe now. Yeah. I'm going to give them more visibility. I think Janie's really cool. She joined the GWG very late. And I think the story would be different if she, had she been there earlier. But fun fact, I invited her on the podcast and she's too busy building. There's just too much to do. She's not have time right now. See, that's, 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 I was like, yeah, respect. Yeah. These hundred, yeah. these real devs who do things. But the second point before we jump on the product and tech tangent is. Joe's spot on assessment of this being an experiment. Yeah. I love Web3 because it allows you to create the most amazing behavioral design experiment. I don't think I agree with the community treasury being a place to do that. Man. And at the moment, there is a very clear tension between the socialists whose money comes out of, I don't know, turtle's ass and they just spread it out white and fire for as long as it lasts. Yeah. And the meritocracy, people that know how hard it is to build, people that have a timeline, either this succeeds in six months or my project is dead. Either near succeeds in 12 months or near is dead. Like the meritocracy people want to see the best people for the role. And I keep saying this, we should never allow governance to be the place where the people that would never be hired at the foundation or at Pagoda, or at Proximity, or at your own startup, if you start a company, to be the ones running governance. It needs yeah. to be the other way around. How do we create a governance where we say, hey, sorry, sir, I know you're busy, and I know that you could be creating 10 times more value elsewhere. We need you as a public servant. We need your knowledge. We need your guidance. We trust you because you're bold steep, and 99% of your net worth is in near. Someone who's poor as fuck, who can't build a Hello World website, who's selling the day they get paid. Not to diss on people that don't have the means, but you know what I'm saying. This is where the frustration comes in. Like, it is so obvious. Totally. It turns people off. Look, I'm at the upside down now. This is why I've got this lovely red background. I yeah. am embarrassed to bring any of these people to the NDC. Yeah. I'll be supporting a engineer. Have I asked them to vote for me at an upcoming NDC election? No. I already humiliated myself enough creating two videos about the regional DAO elections that I may have to take down from YouTube because that was probably a good playground for James Dow utopia and configurations didn't work. Now yeah. we're down to V2, V3, V4. But yeah, it's that struggle between, I, I guess, like ideology. And the sad thing is the meritocracy people know that they'll win on product and on code. I keep telling everyone, every time I go away from governance and I do what I do, people respect me. I keep going up. Every time I downgrade myself to governance, I get shat on and spat on. Why? Because the socialists are the masters of playing with words and of creating the reality that they manifest to the universe. You're never going to win that game. Never. So many copy pastas. Right. I'm forced to so many. The only way to save the NDC is to let it die. Lack of engagement is an indictment on the NDC. Now they're Absolutely. trying to shame us and to force us and if it fails, it's our fault. That's what I find unacceptable. It's so tricky to me because building a product is a completely different mindset than governance. 
And here's the two ways I see it differently. When you're building a product, Joe and I's goal is, okay, how can we make every person that uses a shard dog link have the best experience? Every week, we're trying to iterate a better experience for the user, making it better for the out externally. Governance is about building moats. It's about working because your product is the governance. You are your own product. So the whole goal is every action is about mitigating risk from you losing that monthly UBI, right? So every decision is, thank you so much for your copy pasta, insert different name, insert different company. We appreciate you. Here's what we've got for you. We'll talk to you in three weeks. Boom, another month of UBI. It's about building moats and distance between losing your seat. And it's, so that's like what's hard. I think as you were saying, like, how do we get a governance of builders? I don't know, because it's such a different focus in my mind. It is. Look, one of the things too, for myself as one of the people who is a builder and would be willing to participate in governance in the right situation, it does come down to, I think, two parts. One is actually feeling valued. I don't feel like people can say, oh, you guys are doing so much and we love Shardog and we love Radio One and whatever else. That's nice, but the actions speak louder. It does not feel... And part of my post was that it does not feel, besides the community members who do use us and do what we're doing, it does not feel from both the foundation level and NDC that there is any real appreciation for what we're trying to do. And so that is part of my frustration. And sometimes you just want to feel a little love. Like I just <laughs> tap me on the back a little bit, say boy," but just all, that's motivating in itself. But on top of that, I think spot on with the meritocracy piece. And you're talking about your background growing up in Venezuela. Jared and I are both Americans. We grew up in the United States. So it's all this, it's capitalism to the max, for better or worse. And that's what we grew up around. And our political system has its own problems. But the biggest takeaway and why, cap, and I hate to be the, like, the starch defender of like capitalism right now, because it's not necessarily where I go, but like th that piece of meritocracy is so important in when you are trying to build something for the masses. And that is how you actually get there. And, and again, sure, you can go back in time and we can do a history lesson of technologies that were superior, that lost to something that was not as superior. But when it came out and that was decided of here's what the technology is, those that were then successful were the ones who actually delivered something that people wanted to use. And so when Jared and I say we'll be successful in spite of that, is that meaning that if we stay on our path that we believe in, that our roadmap that we believe in, that we will have a product that we think people will use and I'll be able to go out and Jared and I can go do our own dog and pony show, and go raise money outside of it and build something and never have Nier's name anywhere on it. We could just say, yeah, our tech stack, just like I use AWS in the past on Web2, yeah, my tech stack might be near, but that's it. And I don't want to be that person. I don't want it to be like that because that's not why I went into Web3. I went into Web3 because I believe in the open web. But the attitude of what's coming out of governance and some of the apathy that comes from the top and other places starts to make you feel like, okay, then maybe this is AWS and I'm just going to build on top of it. And, and then if we're successful, if someone asks, I'll say, yeah, sure, I built it on top of that, but it will be irrelevant because... I can build Shardog without you ever using a near username, right? Like I, that's because that's account abstraction. Like the beauty of how good this tech is, I can also hide that you're actually using it. So it's again, it's for me, 
we're not raising money right now. We're not just looking for money. So that post was not about money. So some people comment, oh, if you want to grant it, that's yeah. not what we're talking about. Sometimes it's really just about, hey, partner with us. Hey, come talk to us about what we are actually seeing. Come get in our ear and let me tell you what my experience is. Or, hey, say, hey, how can we help Shard Dog get more visibility? How do we help Ready Layer One? How do we help wild user interviews get out there? Because right now, the three of us are contributing a ton of content. We're putting out an actual, again, product. So for me, it's like, where is the reciprocation of, hey, we see what you're doing. Let us help you with that. Non-financially, just let me help you do that. I recently got a dog treat. I felt honored to some extent. I got invited to a Telegram chat for OGs where now I have the honor and the privilege to help the foundation find sponsors for Nearcon. Yeah, I'll be raising 1.5 million for Nearcon for free. There you go. I'll pose it as a question before I go on a horrific round. Does Near have a branding problem, a reputation problem, specifically when it comes to builders? If you go to a conference and you say, I'm building on Near or I work on Near. So I went to a meetup in New York and it was a bunch of some successful builders in Web3, people who just raise money, like pretty heavy on ETH. They all were talking about ETH and Solana. But whenever I said near, they all said basically the same thing. All of them said, like, man, that chain has really good tech and we just don't know why it didn't take off. And that was it. They didn't like further. And I, I like spun a little bit more. I talked a little bit more. But all of them were like, yeah. Like one guy was just like, man, that tech is just so good. What happened? I don't know. This is hard. There's uh, over 100 L1s. I'm sure a lot of them have good tech. I don't know. It's one of the things where I would say there is an actual branding problem because it is not, one, I think it's not clear how much different and how good the tech really is. And I know that's sometimes hard to convey, but that is where I think highlighting different projects across the ecosystem that are leveraging it in different ways and putting them out in the forefront is what helps with some of Secondarily, I think this is a little bit of a problem to some degree across all chains where it is not just solely in the air. Funny enough, like I had shared with Jared earlier, some people on Solana were complaining something similar of, hey, we've done all this for the ecosystem. Why is the Solana Foundation not giving us our due and our props? And they weren't asking for money. They were just asking for some appreciation and something like that. I do think that's a larger thing, too, of a disconnect between foundations and builders, period. Near, though, I think is more exaggerated right now because of the governance piece of it. Because that is where it really gets sideways of, I I don't have been to a lot of conferences lately, but just in different conversations, whether it's in public or online, the question comes up is, what is this governance thing that's going on? What is that? And then you're like, explain what's happening with that. Versus, hey, let me try to pitch you on why I think this is the best place to build. And you were there. The, how about that space that we had a month ago now? Or maybe yeah, a little less. And Ilya jumped on, right? And we went on about like how all these different things. And it had been right after we had launched Shardog Social. And I rattled off like 10 different reasons why building on the boss was important and better. How does somebody not take that and yeah. do something with that? Besides the Jared boss is and I, sick. Right? It really is when you dig in. It's wild. I've even pitched it to VCs. I've gone to VCs. VCs have asked me questions of what's it like building on the boss? And I've 
I'm basically pitching it. And they're like, wow, I didn't realize because again, because of my background as a professional in web two, as a software architect, I'm, I broke it down as ROI, broke it down as cost. I've worked on all these different pieces. That's not anywhere to be seen in the near documentation. I have not seen promotions around that. I've not seen marketing around any of that. It's who, I don't know what their private pitches are to these apps that are coming in from the outside in their business development. I know business development has picked up a bit. I don't know what that privately pitch looks like, but come on. It's like, we're giving you softballs here. It's like you have community members who are, have done it. I can show you the work. Here it is. I've built this and I'm giving you the softball and it's yeah, no one's taking it. Yeah. First a round of apology to few and far. I don't have any information on what's going on there. Obviously hyperbolic. I think half the people are good. And there may be a couple of naughties there. Also, when I go to near events in person, I do get that appreciation. Like people know your name. I've been invited to the New Foundation, private dinners, VIP passes at the conferences. If we could replicate yeah. the energy and the presence and the camaraderie that we have at conferences around the world, once again, we'd be 10 times bigger. And this is where I'm saying that the community has been failing for basically forever now. And this is really weird place now where the foundation is really, if you remember exactly one year ago, Foundation was doing horribly. I guess it was like the first six months of Marie, a lot of turnover. The CMO had just been hired. There's a community movement for creating our own marketing campaign for NearCon. Near is now movement begins. We start having our own Twitter holes. Fast forward one year, I think Foundation is oh. actually doing really well. Town halls are back. We're getting a lot of Web 2.5 deals. By the way, Alpha, we're actually moving away from Web 2.5 now. I think they've just hit the quota of like big hedge slack sheep fills, whatever the fuck they call it. And now they just have to come online. Now they're shifting gears to developers. Like going forward is all developers. And that has to, by default, be community. Yep. They want 750 developers. They're 100x developers. more power. More po like, seriously, that's smart. They're 100x more important right now. But my point is, if the foundation got their shit together in the last 12 months, and they're single-handedly doing everything, they're doing the conferences, the big ones. They're doing the boss bounties. They're doing the Web 2.5 partnerships. Now they're going to be doing developers. Why are we blowing $2 million in the NDC, which is giving us all this yes. reputational damage and attracting or empowering what some people may describe, not me, but some people may describe as parasites? I, yeah. yeah like, I'm going to take a toilet break, but when I come back, I would love to dig into your professional backgrounds because... Maybe some people know you at like the podcast guys or the shark dog guys, but because I know you personally, I think that there may be a mismatch between the amount of experience and expertise that you bring to the table and what is publicly known, especially because your podcast, which is fantastic. I listen to every one of them. You're usually interviewing yeah. people, like you give a platform to people that it's not as often that you share so much about yourselves. So yeah, after sure. the toilet break, I want to, might... how are you going, Joe? I'm good. I'm good. Do you have a, a co-working space? Is that what you're using? Yeah. I recently joined the Upside DAO, which is several things, kind of like an investment fund, and they've got a really nice new co-working space in Melbourne. So nice. it's made up of a bunch of successful founders and investors here in Australia, and they're trying to 
inject some life and capture some of the momentum of the Web3 ecosystem here. Nice. We had a pretty good community for COVID. So yeah, it's exciting to be out of the house again. Sure. Yeah. yeah. How's the shark doggy coming along? Uh, we, what's been really nice is, so we got a nice redesign from, uh, from Rogue Studios. So she helped us do some redesign. And so our next version, the claim is all fully updated. That's why on our Twitter, we changed our branding a little bit. So she helped us like redo our branding and some of our new layouts. And so we're going to stop doing new links soon. And then I'm going to work for two weeks straight and just get the this like next version fully ready. And that's going to fully integrate the claim part into the boss. So it's all going to be one kind of seamless thing. So I'm like 60% done. So, so I figured we just try to like stop taking another request and just try to knock out the rest of the stuff. 60%. I thought you were close to launching like when we first tried to schedule the podcast a couple of weeks back. So yeah, so we, did, so we changed what we decided we wanted to do a little bit. What we were going to do, is, so I have the new version of the claim pretty much done. Then what we decided is we thought it made more sense to not just launch the updated claim and everything, but to actually start putting some of the actual like platform features available. So the next version is going to also allow you to edit your own links. It's going to allow you to start seeing metrics. So it's like our first step in the full platform, not just the act having a link and claiming. Interesting. Well, if I had to give you the very the word, cliche startup advice, it's better to ship and ship often. It's never going to be perfect. No. But I think that just putting things in people's hands would be the sooner the better. I'm mostly advocating for me here. I want to yeah. get <laughs> better access or something. I really have to give you as much feedback and recognition as you can. If I could expand my hand across the Pacific Ocean, I would tap you in the back. And I think that Shardock started my perception as a as an interesting experiment to build on top of Key Palmer. And it's just been fascinating to see how it seems like with every page that you ship, you peel another layer of the onion. And the possibility and the scope just keeps expanding. I'm personally a Shardog user and I can see the value today. Those are the parts I get the most excited about. Things that you can use today and get value today, mm -hmm. but that continue to yeah. get better over time. It, Joe and I talk about what the, what our roadmap that we don't, we're, we don't share our roadmap ever to buddy, but the things that I'm seeing down the road are like, it just makes so much sense to me. And I'm like, I think. It's going to make sense to other people. I don't know. I'm digging it. Like, I'm just liking where it's going. And Joe comes back. He'll like go dark for a day. And I'm like, uh oh. Then he comes back. He's like, boom. And I'm like, what did you just build? And he's just like, I can do this now. And I'm like, jeez. So cool. Yeah. And you're right. You're so maybe like, that is how we started. It was, can we leverage Keypom in an interesting way? Nobody was really using Keypom. I'm so dope. I mean, we were the first probably major user of it. And then, as that grew and as we started to, like you said, like we built in public, like we were just throwing stuff out there. We tried all these different kinds of links with different people. Yeah. And that's led to just a lot of iteration, a lot of really considered thought. And that's where too, for us, like where we're just, we both come from a different background, Jared and I, that has led to some really interesting ideas that now, like Jared, our roadmap is 
we think really solid that becomes a full on product, not just a feature. When you think of like YouTube or any of those sites, like what are they really in their marketing platforms? That's all they are. They're nothing else. If they didn't market, if they didn't help people achieve something, they wouldn't exist. And so when I look at Shardog, I think it's, it's a marketing platform. Whether it's marketing your project, your want for fame or whatever it is, they're always marketing something. And so I don't know. I just see it being like the fact that you can, your shard dog link is now yours. Like that's yours. And now for the rest of the time you have that shard dog link, you're going to be able to do different activations on it that will all be recorded on your shard dog link. And now, you know, Joe's been working with other people, Pike's Peak, other things in the background. Like, so now you can start to figure out how to leverage this stuff. Because that's the thing with Joe and I talk about is there's like Web3 is so cool, but I get so confused. I think that's where Joe and I work well together because I like, you need to explain it to me. And for me to understand it, it, it takes a real, no, I don't want to say dumbing down, but like the technically down. No, but I think it's, it's one of those things where what's going so well for us too, is that like that back and forth of trying to push the limits, both of Jared comes up with a great idea or just something that is, Hey, here, let me throw this against the wall. And then it gets me thinking like, is this actually possible? Can we actually do this? Can we actually leverage this type of stuff? And when you come in it with the approach of we're choosing to build on Web3. Just because we have time and money invested into Mir, we believe that this product best sits yeah. in the open web. I could absolutely build the exact same type of product web, absolutely, without a doubt. I'm not, but to view it where we believe in the data privacy, data ownership, being able to start incorporating some other features that are related directly to on-chain and crypto long-term that's why we're doing what we're doing and so that back and forth is really important yeah. for us really briefly not to get dragged back into the black hole of governance sure. i love that through the lenses of product we've been able to get like the easiest possible representation of what might be going on with a product in general you must solve a problem for someone or your product is just yeah. non-existent it's just mute Issues with governance arise when it is seen as self-serving. Yeah. And yeah, they just don't get into that solving a problem for people mode. But anyway, let's put that aside. Let's, I want to further break down Shardog as a product. But beforehand, I want to get a better image of who are Jared and Joe. These two old dudes <laughs> with the podcast. Like, what makes yeah. you two different from the two fellows on the street buying Nothing. coffee? Wants to go Joe, first. you go first. Yours is a. I think so Jared, first of all, Jared and I met in college, so we we met at the end of freshman yeah. year in college, and I would say pretty quickly we became good friends, and it just took off from there. And one of the things that we always valued with each other is that we could both always be super candid, but we also we both just wanted to have fun. We just we were just like hanging out. We never took a lot too serious. <laughs> no way. No, Especially in our yeah. younger years. And that's one of the things where I think where people say, like, why is this working? Is that, like, we are really very good. Friends. We've been talking every day for years now. We, even when we've gone through stretches where when I've had kids and he's had kids, it's just, yeah, you don't always stay in great touch all the time. We haven't seen each other in person a lot, but we've been talking constantly. So that friendship has really been a big aspect of that. And there's, I don't know how deep you want to go, but there's a lot there from college and all the way on that led to, I think, where we yeah. both are today. 
What did you both study in college? I was an arts major. Go ahead. Theater tech and <laughs> mathematics. Yeah, and actually, I'm a psych background. I'm not computer science. So my bachelor's is in psychology. I have a master's in mental health and behavioral medicine. And I almost finished my PhD. I did everything except the dissertation in health psychology. And so that that's a whole other weird story. But yeah, well, I am not a... Joe's an overachiever. If it's not too late, you could probably still oh. write your dissertation on the mental health problems of people. That's going to be amazing. <laughs> Decentralized <laughs> government. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was unfortunately bad yeah. for me. It's fascinating. So with those, let's call them like broad majors... Yeah. Jared, how do you make your way from an arts major into a marketing World professional? Real in my 20s, I was on the West Coast in Los Angeles, did a lot of production work out there. Anything I could get. A lot of different jobs, different, did a lot in commercials and stuff like that. Like doing production. I don't want anything from working my way from PA to coordinating all the way to doing set stuff. That was cool. Oh, no, no, like commercial, uh, big commercials for like agencies. So I'd go in and be like, I do grunt work, basically. I was in my young 20s. It wasn't beautiful stuff. It was really hard work, long hours. I had a truck, and so everybody always wanted to hire the guy at the truck. Then I started getting into filming things a lot. And then it just took off. I think people started hiring people. I started... The one thing I have, and a joke, a joke and I, like, I got the hustle. I got the grind, right? I'm like, let's get something going. So then I just started filming things and getting hired to film things. And I ran a production company for a little bit, which was like really fun. And I got some clients, did that. And then I started building studios for a hedge fund type company, this super random. So I built a video studio for him and ran it for a year. And then through that, no, then I moved to New York. Now I'm in New York at this point. And then got another gig building another studio and running like a video team in a marketing department. I was like, sure, I'll do it. I didn't care. Like I wasn't like aiming for it. Then over five years of doing that, I got really into, oh, this is how a marketing system works. Then the last job I've had for almost four years has just been hardcore content marketing for a tech company and working with a team that just is top notch. So that's taught me everything. So that's where I am now. Broad stroke, not getting too granular. That's amazing. So just really briefly to give people a little bit of extra context, when you say a tech company, what size company we're talking about and what channels content do you It's a, like a normally? SaaS kind of product-based company, a couple billion dollar size company, marketing team of a hundred plus. They do great, super great visionary leaders. It is interesting because it doesn't and doesn't parallel exactly to what Near is, but there's some similarities. Like I understand what like a, a marketing team working with a sales team, with the biz dev team, and how that all works together with a product team. That they're all the same pieces are in the same place. You know what I mean? Similar. Amazing. Joe, how do you make your way from mental health almost at a PhD yeah. level yeah. to computer science? Going back a little bit, I've always been heavily into programming and computers. My father owned a hardware company, like a local, before the Best Buys and Geek Squads of the world. My, my father ran a private little, did networking and hardware repair and all that stuff in the 80s and 90s. And so I'd always been around it, always really found that interesting. I had a computer in my room when I was like three, just because of my dad. And then- How old are you? But I'm going to have to say that was like a very early adopter, wasn't it? Let's put it this way. It was in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So from there, I always was really interested in it. high school. So growing up, yeah, I, we could probably figure out my age, but I grew up in hit high school, late like 90s, beginning of the tech boom, beginning of the internet, the public internet. And I started building websites, 
all of that stuff. I started learning some programming languages. I got in trouble for hacking AOL at one point. I so I was really into that kind of like just trying to find like those backdoor tools that probably most people who were around at that time had. Wait, did you hack AOL like the company? No. Or? no. So they used to have all these different tools back then that were like would give you like. Joe, I'm just jumping in here. Is this stuff we should be and, talking about? You're over here talking. You're like, and they came to my yeah. house. I threw my no, computers in a tub. No, I wasn't like that. No. Nations were free. <laughs> I was young. I was I probably wasn't even in high school yet, and because this was before before the commercial internet. And yeah, I had just, I was like playing around with those tools. I had taken over like my neighbor's account, just trying things. And, and like AOL called my house and we're just like, so that was the whole thing. But I, I just was always very interested in it. I got into psychology because I was a little bit burned out from computers in high school. I just, I didn't want to do what my dad did. I couldn't imagine doing all of that all the time. And software fell separated. Like I wasn't, I was too young to go to the Valley or anything like that. And so it just fell a ways away. I was very interested in psychology. I went to do that. And then I went to get my master's degree because I wanted to do sports psychology specifically and work on performance enhancing for athletes and just all high level type of performance, working with like executives and things like that. And I was lucky enough to train on some really great people at, at Boston University here. And from there, I actually started my own practice. And I had a whole network of working at some tennis academies and I worked at an ice skating rink and just a couple of different things. I was doing okay with that. And I was teaching the college level as well. And then the, the crash of 2008, 2009 happened and that blew out my business completely. I lost almost 60, 70% of my business within three months. People just closed their doors just from bad loans and everything else. And I was certainly very frustrated by that. And what that afforded me though, was it gave me a little bit of time to rethink what I wanted to do. And during that time, I leaned back on something that I always had loved was, was software. I had always been building stuff for my sports psychology practice. I had built a mobile app. This was like right early days of the iPhone. We had a mobile app for it. I remember uh, that mobile I app. Built I remember a that. I sent you a picture of that thing the other day. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to make it an NFT. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had all that stuff. I had built a website that worked on like some video stuff. Jared and I then also did a project in 2006 for YouTube. Oh, was great. We built something called Dime Films, which was about short films. And so we actually had a website. People could see yeah. their short films. Just being um, ahead of the that, curve on that uh, one, Joe. I still stick to that like, idea of being a great one. It was just that was back when we had to like pay yeah. so much to host a video. It was Horrible crazy. Metrics. I mean, you, you yeah. do your own encoding. You know, your own yeah. encoding and everything. And, but we, that's, I was always doing that. Like I was going to grad school and I was building this website with Jared. People are sending me DVDs just, and I'm yeah. like, what am I supposed to do, Jared? Yeah. It was, they would send you the DVD yes. in the mail and then you would yeah, upload man. it to the website. Yeah. We'd have to rip it and encode it. Yeah. yeah. yeah it, was, it was their yeah. own work. So oh, it was, yeah. It was people who would make For like film short films and stuff. Yeah. And, and yeah. And we would be helping like try to distribute it. And there was no YouTube. And so like you had to set up your own encoder on your own server and yeah. run all this stuff. Oh, it was nuts. Yeah, it was. And when so you see I was your own server, you had like racks of servers in your house or how did it work? So this actually tied just in well enough where there was uh, shared, like virtual shared yeah. hosting at the time. So yeah, but it was expensive. So 
I was running, I was leasing server space that way and doing that. But we just, we were young. We didn't understand the game. Like we just. The numbers didn't so, make like, sense. We, were burning cash. we didn't do the numbers. Yeah. We were in our early twenties. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. And so it was just chaos. And so I think that lasted maybe. maybe a year. Yeah, it was. Maybe. Yeah, you should have tried to sell that off to YouTube or someone, but I guess it was very early for them as well. It was, yeah, it was very early. Yeah, and then from there, so, so when after the market crash, I got a position with a school district near me that needed someone to come in and start doing some different tech stuff. It was a kind of catch-all position where help teach like a programming class, help redo some of their own software. They were building custom software. So we built like a first of a kind school app, like all these things just so too early for a lot of this stuff. But we were, the school district was really trying to Joe, have we just been too early to a lot of Uh, things? I hope we're not. We're just at that age where we're always just a little too early. Yeah. Thanks for giving me design, guys. I'm selling all my shit today and I'll be back in 10 years. Year's going to be huge (laughs) in 2032. Probably. 2033. From there, after that school district, I started a startup where I was served as lead developer and CTO for a financial startup. We lasted about a little over 10 years. I didn't make, I didn't exit crazy or anything, but it just, we didn't fail. We just stuck around for over 10 years. So I think it's a, yeah. I think that is a win. And then I moved on to, I now work for a global software company where I, as a, I'm a technology architect working on different projects. It's a, I don't even know what fortune level company it is. It's huge. It's like a quarter million people hired by this company. So it's a pretty big company. So you're working at Google, okay. Um, exactly. Google. That's, like a, <laughs> that's yeah, amazing. So, yeah, that's how we've gotten here. Uh, we both had an interesting path. It was not we haven't even gotten into how we both got into crypto, but that's all. <laughs> I know. I was going to say, I've got so many questions about this current stage of life, but I just need to know how the current road leads into crypto. Like, why crypto? I don't know how much I want to say here. I like... Yeah, well, I'll give my, my, I guess, my first piece right. of... Just like probably a million other people in the space, like I was dabbling and tried out Bitcoin early on, but never really had that much. And I was in the thing of, oh, there's no way this would take off. I couldn't see how like a government would allow this to happen at the time. I was like, this is ridiculous. And foolishly, whatever, I think you just let it go. Then probably now, probably seven years ago or so. As I got older, as I got to learn more about the world, as I traveled more and everything else, I think I understood the issues with financial stuff and money differently. And my interest in the possibilities of something like crypto became much more interesting to me. I understood, oh, that this is actually potentially very meaningful, more so than just I can speculate. So that led to that. And then I... I've always really appreciated the open web. I, again, this is where the age comes in, right? I remember the wild list days of the early internet. It was yeah. very exciting. Like I just, I wish I was a little bit older maybe where I could have capitalized on some of that. But I just remember like the, it, if you grew up in the nineties and you were there for the beginning days of it, it really felt wondrous. It felt like this is unbelievable what we're able to do. And there are pieces When you get away from the speculation and some of the other bullshit that goes on, there are pieces of Web3 and crypto that start to feel like that and start to give you that energy of we could be on the cusp of something revolutionary, possibly again, but we're 
different now where we're like stuck in this little bit of a slog here because of regulation, because of markets, because of scams and everything else and Ponzi's and all that other bullshit. But I, we do believe in it. I, I do think there is really a opportunity here. I guess for me, yeah. if it weren't for like near and stuff, I'd probably be like a laser eye Bitcoiner. So yeah, like I, I like Nier. And what's funny is I remember telling you, Joe, before, because Nier hadn't done, even done its ICO yet. And I remember reading about it and being like, hey, this seems like a cool little phase of this. Could be cool. I've got other times where I remember getting into ETH. I had a friend in New York. I went to his apartment. It was like 95 degrees and he was mining ETH in his one bedroom apartment. And I was like, oh, wow, I'll look into this. I was like, if he's mining it, there's something going on. So, and I just like the whole concept of digital ownership. I think I'm really gravitate towards that. I'm not going to get on like a high horse or anything, but if you don't own it, like web two, you don't own anything. And the second I understood that, like, no one can take that away from you. I mean, they can drain your wallet, which has happened to me or scam you, which has happened to me, but they can't just take it. I was like hooked. That's fascinating. I think that if we were to identify some themes or some trends, it seems like web three in general is a younger crowd. How dare you? But when you look at the actual, How dare you? Hey, hey! Before I get canceled, okay, let me okay. finish a sentence. But if you look at the top performers, they actually tend to be more experienced on the older side of the spectrum. Because I saw the same with Metapools. Claudio and Lucio are both product people. They've both had their previous companies. They've both Great, had exits. Yeah. There is something about the way that they have experienced the real world that informs everything they do. So they come to Web three. Not just out of curiosity, because they got fucked over when they were trading meme stocks and Robinhood two years ago, but there's a wider set of operational excellence and the management yeah. and how to, there's just so much about it. Yeah. Especially, I feel that with a very non-linear path, like the two of you have, I'd say that some of the things that really stand out to me are knowing the worth of money having to hustle and grind and getting punched in the face. Sometimes it's your fault. Sometimes it's not your fault. But being very in touch with the real world in ways that perhaps magic money is not or magic money being dispersed by a treasury by a bunch of people that seem to be living in fucking Narnia. So <laughs> I still don't, I'm just still going to point out, if you leave this in, I don't think it's the people. I think systems dictate the people. I think we work with a lot of people in the space and I think I'll, Almost everybody I meet is doing, is, I think genuinely is trying to do something good. Yeah, totally. There's some, I've read some grants that I'm like, this is a straight up, <laughs> this is whatever this is, but for the most part, but yeah, I do think one thing I'll add to that is that reputation, I think as I've gotten older, that's something that matters so much. And also Joe, I don't know, as I've gotten older, like life goes by quickly and it's like, what do you want to yeah. sacrifice or what do you want to do at, by the end of it? Do you want to be like. In the last yeah. few years of your life, man, I pumped and dumped some people and I like rugged and that's just not how I want to go out of this world. Yeah, I think that is piece. And I do appreciate maybe the piece of it of being older. I do think back a lot on if I was in this space younger, like what would I be doing and where and probably I would have been full on speculating and trying to leverage buy into every meme and shit point and leverage in my ass but as someone who's older now both as having family responsibilities but also too like you said like it's one of those weird things where i sometimes feel a little foolish 
talking about it because I do, I live in privilege, right? I grew up in a country that's allowed me a lot of privilege. I'm white. I'm just like in a country that really, for better or worse, really has treated me with a different respect than other populations. And so I try not to take that for granted, but I haven't had these, I didn't grow up wealthy. I've had to work for everything that I've done. I, I was not just given a lot of things. And I will tell you when that, when the market collapsed yeah. in 2008, 2009, that really affected me. I not just closed my business out. It really, a lot of people that I was close to, it really hurt. And I really started to see that full time. And I was, I, so at that point, I did not have kids yet. I was, I was settled down and everything. And that was the first time I was like, oh shit, yeah. this is real. I can't just go live back at home. I can't just whatever. I have to figure this out. And, and this is stuff that could happen to me. I had no control over this, right? I didn't cause a mortgage crisis. Like I didn't sell these things. I didn't work in that industry. And so learning from that really has given me a ton of perspective in the sense that like, I, I need to both value my time mm -hmm. accordingly. I also need to make sure that I'm doing things that I can control as best as possible. And that's again where Web3 comes in, where like you, we talked about earlier, if things really go sideways, we'll fork the near chain. That's a real possibility where I can't get locked out of what I'm building in that scenario. So those are things that start to become much more apparent. And that's why too, I think we see people who are older in the space actually building products and not just tinkering all the time because you understand both the value of your time, but also what is actually possible. How can we create that culture of learning, self-mastery, embracing experimentation, non-linear pathways, and I would even add to that mentorship, not hold people to a high esteem or disregard them because of their age group, but actually trying to say, hey, regardless of when you happen to be born, we can all come together right now and work towards that common goal, but acknowledging where we have room for improvement. I don't know. But, <laughs> Tell them all to have kids. Just uh, PhD in, in psychology uh, and mental health. This yeah, is to yeah. you. One of the things is, I am certainly not someone who's, oh, just because you're young, like you don't understand. And I try not to be an old head and try to be like, oh, kids these days. I'm, I've always tried to be as open as possible, partly because I didn't always have the right mentors. I couldn't always find the right people. So I always try to say, if someone has questions, please always ask. But I think what I'd love to see more of is opportunities where that people who are building can get those type of connections. Like where you say you want to focus on developers. Why can't there be some kind of big brother program in the sense of in a non-pejorative way of let's, you know, hey, are you building, have you never really built a product before, but you're a really good developer, but let's connect you with people who can give you real feedback and not. And again, this is not against VCs, but sometimes like VCs have different, like they can do that too, but sometimes they have different incentives where someone else who has no skin in the game just wants to help can really provide a really interesting perspective. It doesn't have to take a ton of time, but something simple like, I, and I've had people do this in this space of, hey, can I run this by you? And I'll give my opinion. I'll take 20 minutes and I'll read through it and I'll give some thoughts, that stuff alone is, is super valuable. And that's what builds community as well, because now they feel like, oh, I was able to go to somebody in the ecosystem, get some free advice, 
I mean, do what you will with it, but then go from there. Have you had the chance to attend any of the office hours? I know that the near Discord has them or used to have them. I know that near Horizon now also has some office hours. Are those things something that you find valuable, can be improved? How can we help that be more successful? Yeah, I have not been to any of the newer ones, but when I was first starting, I joined a few that were on from the near Discord, those developer office hours. That was almost like a secret weapon because nobody would show up to them. So I'd have two dev relations people on the call with me by myself. I could just fire off questions. Like there were definitely some sessions where I would, I'd have one question, but then I realized nobody else was there. So I was like, all right, I'm going to hear here's the next 20 minutes <laughs> of stuff. I want you to talk me through all of this different stuff. And you got like a one-on-one -on -one education, which was awesome. But I think any of those things, like if you're a developer and you don't either know about them or you're not taking advantage of them, you're doing yourself a disservice. You don't talk. Even if you just go and listen, I used to join when I had more time. I used to join the protocol calls, even and just some of the stuff was over my head. Like I, like I, I, some of that protocol development stuff was even over my head, but it was just great to hear people talk through problems and learn from that. And it's stuff I wish I had when I was a younger developer of just being able to listen in and hear how top level professionals talk about this stuff, because it does two things for you. One, you learn something hopefully, but two, I think. A lot of developers, even the best, the cocky 18-year-old who thinks they can do whatever, you still always have a little bit of apprehension. I, I don't know any developers that don't have a little bit of either, whether it's a little lack of self-confidence or I don't want to put myself out there or whatever that might be, or imposter syndrome type of stuff. And to hear how other people talk and say, oh, okay, I can keep up. Oh, I can actually be part of this. It starts to give you some of that empowerment that... I know was lacking from my career early on. It wasn't until I was a bit older and I got into some situations where I had to be the expert and then I realized, oh, I can really do this. But if anyone has imposter syndrome, me sitting in a room with all computer science people and <laughs> having a psychology degree at times can be very intimidating. But when you learn that, hey, I can keep up, I do know what I'm talking about, it's invaluable. And so I hope that more people are able to take advantage of that and there's more avenues for that type of stuff. That's amazing. By the way, I used to also join a lot of the DAO builder groups, Wallet, DeFi. I even joined, I think it was called like data <laughs> analytics or something back in the day, which I got like literally two seconds of it. I was joining mostly to create that culture mm -hmm. of engagement and of showing up because I know that especially technical contributors like paid you've got shit to do at pagoda when you take time of your day to do community duties and no one shows up because what happens you write like the community that. off yeah yep. you you stop showing up yourself like you say hey this is a waste of my time we've got a lot of things to do why should i put time aside for right. community quote unquote so i thought it was very important to show up let them know that someone's listening all of these are recorded they can be made available to people afterwards once again if we were to put even just like a fraction of the marketing and airtime that the NDC is getting towards these builder calls and people coming together, not to compete for funding, but to build on each other's ideas and to really help lift each other up, I think we'd have a very different ecosystem. I'm optimistic that we are aware of the shortcomings now and that we have enough people that are willing to work in that direction. 
but yeah, it's not without without yeah. challenges. Okay, so yeah. you get in, you get to run near for a few months. Hey, what do you do? <laughs> What's the first thing you do? Let's have a little fun because I'm gonna have to hop here soon because I'm actually traveling internationally tomorrow, so I gotta hop off and finish packing. I'm going to where are London. you going? You're gonna be halfway there. I would advise you and uh, your wife and kids <laughs> to go the extra mile, and I'll nice. see you in Vietnam. Oh man. <laughs> Done, let's do it. Yeah, what do you do? Because I because I always think about this. It's hard. I think so much of this stuff is about just like the ecosystem of Web3 as a whole. There's not a whole lot of users across any chain. I don't care what anybody's saying. If you get rid of the bot, a lot of this like shenanigans, it gets real small real fast. So I think a lot of these like issues are just like market forces. We have several things that we're doing really right now, or I said the foundation is doing well. I said, if you go to listen to some of the old podcasts, I was had much stronger views against the foundation. A lot of those concerns have been mitigated or maybe the NDC is just so much worse that it's making the foundation look good now. But I think Ilya coming back to Pagoda as well, Alex Kioki brings a different product perspective to Pagoda. Nothing is perfect right now, or maybe some of his hypotheses will take a while to know whether they're correct or not. Where I think that we're falling short is the community. Maybe that's just what I feel more directly. We need to overcome these challenges where we only recruit from within the community because we've got a survivor bias, but not necessarily a good one. If you have a shrinking pool of people, the chances of you getting the right person for the job are less and less likely. There's a reason why the foundation doesn't hire just from the community, et cetera. So I think that we need to put a lot of thinking into pathways for onboarding people. And it seems like we're doing that now with the developers. When I say we, the foundation, original communities, bit of a disaster on the NDC side. I can share the docos with you. They've been sent to me because we're assessing an Australian hub. This is a kind of thinking that needs to happen for every regional community. And it includes everything from the existing Web3 ecosystem, the regulatory landscape, like needs to be very structured thinking with KPIs. I respect the foundation for having KPIs. Some are kind of bullshit, like number of wallets, doesn't matter. But some KPIs are legit. And honestly, they're fucking us over right now. External capital raised by the ecosystem. If we're not able to get money from other places, maybe we have issues. Maybe it's a bear market, but there needs to be metrics in place where we're able to nullify the political games because if you play yourself, you can always win. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So I think that will be my focus right now. I think, sadly, the quiet part is that a lot of the things being put in place are not optional. Or they're being basically imposed on us due to regulatory concerns. The NDC needs to be structured in a certain way. These people have to be voted in one way or another. They can be put in by finger and... There's just a few things there that I just see them as constraints on, on these roles uh, and the set of conditions. As Joe says, there needs to be almost like a stock take exercise. Who's in the community? Like, really? And I could volunteer for this if the foundation wants to put some resources behind it. Who was here 12 months ago? What were they doing? And where are they now? Yeah. This is even feedback that have been given to the RC DAO. There's people that I know. One of them in Italy messaged me. He's moved on, but he was trying to get some funds out of Bastion. There's a girl in Singapore. She was doing amazing work. They've let her fall through the cracks. What is the point of having an RC DAO 
with four admins that each want to get paid two and a half thousand dollars a month when you don't know who your community is right. and when you're not reaching out to them and assessing how are you doing, how can we help you, are we meeting these like global North Star KPIs? One thing that I've been mulling over and having some conversations, let's see what you guys think. I'm thinking of having something like a, in this decentralized milieu of institutions, like a performance review board kind of thing. So say if your project has over TVL, raised funding, whatever number of users, we can figure out the metrics of who is actually in the trenches. They have skin in the game and operational excellence. You know, I got a handful of them and they can rotate. I'm thinking the Claudio type. They get quarterly performance reviews to the DAO people. Because if we had that, I can guarantee you, very few of the current DAO council members would still be there. This should be an impartial body of people that are assessing their peers on the same standards by which they run their project. Sure. And by, the, by which they run their institution or the, whatever the case may be, foundation. So I think that we need that extra layer of accountability without more bullshit bureaucracy. Because to me, the Transparency Commission, there's no guarantees. We could get amazing people there if they choose to run and if they win, or it could just be another layer of bullshit that... You're not going to make friends in that one. That's the one that I like the most, cause, but I'm like already seeing this in the, as an advisor in the marketing now. Like when you go in and really start calling out like bad actors or maybe not intentionally bad, but just bad ineffective stuff people don't get done people aren't happy the truth is yeah they're also not going to be happy in 12 months time when they're not able to get money because near is worth zero or because a foundation just kills the ndc altogether this is my issue with the ndc and i've been saying this privately and sometimes publicly for a long time the near foundation failed at dealing the creatives DAO when they could they handed it over to the ndc and off they go and the New York Foundation has conversations privately that they should be having publicly. The standards by which they hold people and the strings that they're able to pull to cut funding and kill things. A lot of people are living in utopia right now. And there's a foundation people that know that some things are going to fail or know that some things are not going to get funded. But for the sake of decentralization, they take the backseat. Dude, to me, that's what the frustration is. Don't waste our time. Be upfront. I understand how in some ways it may be satisfying to sit back, not be a player in the match and let people fight each other. And by the end, everyone's on the floor dead and they killed each other. And you're yeah. like, oh, I guess this is done then. That must be satisfying. And maybe I'd be in the same position if I hadn't wasted so much time on this shit for the last nine months. But I do feel like the collateral damage in the ecosystem is too big. If something is not going to work out, even just get on a private call and be like, hey, mate, just so you know, either you step down or the DAO dies with you. Let's not kid ourselves. This is not working out. So we've got a serious like stakeholder engagement here. By the way, I did hear that conversation. I was privy to it. And when influential person A tells that to DAO people B, then everyone references a community. Do you have the authority from the community to be saying that? I think the community approves of what I'm doing. The community is a faceless entity which we murdered months mm. ago. It's not existent. Right. It's very convenient now because it's like a Scooby-Doo that everyone pulls when they need to. <laughs> but we know how this ends. A hundred percent, yeah.
I just wanted to turn the question on you. If you had the chance to rule near for a day or even like the marketing realm or wherever you feel more comfortable, like what would your priorities be for the next six months? Yours was so thoughtful. I was going to say bring back the meerkat, but like. Yes, I second that. Let's do it. I love that you're like, you broke down like a council to make sure people are doing good stuff. I'm like, let's bring back Meerkat and follow the Duolingo marketing process. Throw up big, find someone who like, just make it like, because Nier's tech is so good, right? Like it's so good. It's almost hard to understand. The boss, I spent two months deep diving, talking to so many people. Thank you to all the people who talked to me about it. It was a lot of people. And I think I get it now. So you've got the tech. So it's just like you need something light. When I look at Nier, and I always thought like the Meerkat was such a good thing because it's like we have one, of, not we, like, Nier has some of the best tech, but there's like this fun Meerkat, right? Like it's just like the juxtaposition of that is so playful in marketing to me that you can go in so many different ways. I just like that. And I just think people running around in a giant costume Meerkat is hilarious to me, but that could just be because I'm like an old dude with a kid. I don't know. So that's what I would first do. I would just get like a singular focus around like a marketing structure that brings lightness whatever that is meerkat or whatever then i would break down the three pillars that i think near wants to focus on and i'd make those very clear to the community whether it's boss decentralized ndc or whatever and then i would just hammer and if it's getting devs say it's those three things say it's like boss ndc and getting devs i don't know i'm just saying i would just have everything hyper focus on that i would tell the whole community like any funding going to you has to ladder to those three things if it doesn't we're cutting it i don't care if, and I would just hammer it. And then I would, uh, I liked your idea a lot of trying to figure out like which projects are really building and having a performance review. I think there's something there because we've been in the community long enough. We know who's doing what for the most part. There's people putting in the hours. There's other people that aren't. And it's just, it'd be nice to be able to target that. Because I think, and lastly, is that like YouTube got big, not because of external people coming onto YouTube. YouTube got big because for five years, YouTubers grinded, proved that it was a great platform, got crazy big on it early days. And then companies came on and were like, you got to have a YouTube channel and build it. And so I think Web3 could build that same way where it's the initial users that grow and then the external comes in. Kendall from Proximity, and I'm pretty sure Aurora, Alex Aurora, Shevchenko, they've both said it in slightly different ways. We only need one big success to kickstart a flywheel. And some people look at Sweatcoin as a case study to bring more Web 2.5 people. And if you look at the last many months of town halls, maybe you could say that's been successful. And I agree. But when you look at the grassroots side of things, like somebody choosing to start a project on near, there is a cultural element. As I said, nobody wants to be building alone. And nobody wants to be building in an environment where not only do you have to do whatever it takes for your project to succeed, but then you also have the baggage of explaining why you're near or trying to put some distance between you and some of the elements of the ecosystem that you don't want to be affiliated with. So I think that's where we need to, yeah, put a lot more thinking towards. Yeah. And to wrap up, or at least my part, you guys, please stay on. Joe, when you said paying for the sins of past near grants, right? That opening line. Talk about a banger first line, Joe. What are you doing? Joe's also a marketer. I was like, damn, that's a hook. I wish I could do a line like that. I think NFTs in that era were a tricky thing because like in the time they were really sold as something, but it was just too early. And I think now 
like scams are always going to front run real projects, right? Because it's just easier to make believe something and be like, hey, here's a roadmap, woohoo, and then get money. But to actually build a roadmap takes time. So the problem is that like people were doing the right thing, giving grants out, but it was just bad timing. I always like fire off like names to Joe about people who've raised more money than we'll ever raise. And they were just all rug pulls. But at the time, you wouldn't have known that. So you don't want to like, in hindsight, it's 2020. Where we failed as a community was in not calling out maybe some of the earlier signs of just behavior that was not normal. I'll give you an example. Most adults that I know suspended disbelief. They knew it was not going to be sustainable long-term. They knew they weren't going to deliver shit on the roadmap. They knew it was a money grab, but they pretended it wasn't because there were some 12-year-olds on the other side willing to buy it. That was exploitative. And if you're not the person rugging, and if you're not the 12-year-old, at least be the person saying, hey, maybe this is wrong. Yeah. Maybe Web3 doesn't have a future where we just engage in these low-key scams. I have posted negative things, and they don't perform well on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, look, I am surprised that I have as many friends as I do, Jared. Because as you say, some of the things that I do are not popular. And who was the only person against NFTs on Nier before people weren't against NFTs on Nier? It was me. And by the way, I'm also the guy that had the first generative mini-year NFT. So there needs to be some nuance around, okay, first principles thinking, what is a North Star, things evolve. Misfits, I think, was the first NFT I ever minted. So I blame you. <laughs> I still have it. Thank you. Man, this is, for me, this is where I hop. This has been fun. Please be kind with editing. Bye, guys. I can't wait to hear the podcast and listen to what you two talk about now. Garrett, safe travels. Sir Joe. All right. In some ways, I am thrilled to be able to have the ability to have these very serious conversations, give a platform to people with very deep insights, such as yourself. In other ways, I feel a little bit guilty, or I feel the pressure to strike the right balance between how much of the airwaves are going to the NDC and how much of it goes towards contributing towards creating that builder blockchain culture sure. that we want. And that's why I've been deliberate recently on not creating any YouTube content for the NDC. Yeah. Because I already have two videos recently about the RC DAO and I feel like there needs to be at least a three to one ratio. More yeah, builder content, sense. more products, more things that everyone can care about. Mm. And then you can always have the bits and pieces there for the people that want to be engaged in governance. Totally. So my question to you would be, how can I help you? You understand the technology at a much deeper level, especially as a builder. I'll take it as a little bit how you framed the previous question that you, both you and Jared just answered of, if I had control over the next six months, part of what I would look at is, and this is somewhat self-serving, but who cares, is really taking some projects that are building here on the road in a sense, just even virtually. Like the town hall stuff is fine like where they bring in some things to talk about it, but it's brief and it's very high level. It's almost a little bit chilling where I don't necessarily want to do that. I don't really want to necessarily do that necessarily for Shard Doc, but part of my complaint has been of like, when you have a technology and you have a product like ours of, you know, why wouldn't you try to make sure, hey, we're going to go talk at Youth Paris or whatever and let us, what can we share with you? Can we do a quick clip with you? Can we do a video, you talking about whatever else? Because the most powerful thing I think is going to be for people coming outside of the ecosystem in 
is seeing actual user examples of, oh, okay, like they actually are doing this. Like they actually, here is something else because Ilya's presentation is terrific. I've seen it a few different times. I've seen it grow over the time. I've been watching all the different videos from the different conferences he's been talking at and they're wonderful. And I think most developers get it. I think where it's come now, the presentation really is very solid all the way through. And you can watch and say, okay, cool. The challenge, I think, though, anyone who's actually building a product, anyone who actually has visions of something like that, building a business, you need to be able to have actual use cases. And I don't want to speak for the Keypom team necessarily, but I think that's like what they are trying to get projects to do, right? Keypom is this protocol. It's not really like a product in the traditional sense. I know they're doing some product kind of stuff. And so that's coming for them. But for now, it's, yeah, they're like, come on, guys, use us, build it. And and that's super exciting. And, and they, they've, I love everything that they've built and we've been able to build Shardog off of that. But you need more than just us and you need other things to be able to say, hey, yeah, we were successful doing this. We actually are leveraging this. And then for the boss and for what the foundation and Pagoda are trying to do is you need all these different projects, like where whether it's orderly, Calimero, which again, are a little bit more, again, infrastructure plays, but products like ours, like the concept of Bodega, we'll use that. Benny's concept around more than just an NFT marketplace, but some of the stuff that they wanted to really do. And I know they've had conversations at some higher levels of those are near based things that you could do on near, right? And so it's like, hey, why don't you show that as part of the presentation? How do you involve someone like Benny and get him in there to be able to show, hey, we were able to leverage near to do this. It's the same thing of that whole Solana thing of like only on Solana, which is half of his bullshit anyways. It's not only on Solana. But I mean, they they do a great job with that because it makes it feel like it's special. And so it's oh, only on Solana. So I... I don't want to copy that, but I do want to be able to show people like, look, oh, you can will. do this. Yeah. <laughs> Part of it seems like a chicken and the egg situation. And if it wasn't you, it was Jordan. I think it was Jordan, actually. Oopsie. He actually had a, an interesting question, which I may have reframed to Kiyoki. I don't even remember if I asked him, actually. But when we have a protocol of gigabrains, like core infra, there's actually a challenge of where do we meet the end user application builders? How about the same question to Alex Shevchenko from Aurora? The Rainbow Bridge, or would cross-contract calls between Aurora and Near have been built by anyone other than your team? Technically, yes, but in reality, no. Former Pagoda DevRails, DevHub, basically an extension of Pagoda at the moment. There's a level of depth where few people have really gotten there. And I feel like a lot of these teams may feel like building something in near, which could have been built elsewhere, it's not noteworthy. And mm -hmm. I, by the way, one of the game developers in near sent me some incredible tirades on Twitter. And I didn't have the heart to tell him that his game is good-ish. I, I personally don't get it. I tried playing it. But it's not groundbreaking. And you could define groundbreaking by two ways. It uses the technology in a way that has never been used before. So it gives you the case study element. Yep. Or it just has a shit ton of users, like a Play sure. Ember or a Sweat Coin. So I think the challenge with embarking on the first category is that honestly, we just don't have that many use cases. 
I can see how Sharder would fall in that category. But if we make the commitment from a marketing point of view of, yeah, we're going to showcase people building amazing shit on here, the reality is we just don't have any people to showcase. So I would, totally. I'm, I'm thinking of what like a, like an MVP of support would be, I don't know, say Ilya shares a Shardog link in the same way that I do. And everyone gets to mint an NFT through his account and, and live the experience. They have like smaller experiments that could give the product that visibility. And then I guess the next piece for me would be to think of how the user journey looks like for Shardock itself. Somebody completely new comes to near through Alias Link, they create a wallet and they think, oh shit, this is cool. I'd like to do something similar. Is yep. it part of that stage where like new people can create their own links, et cetera? Does that make sense? Absolutely. So I think there's a few really great things in there. I love the interview that you did with Alex because I thought that was a really good insight to how, how the team inside Pagoda is really thinking. And there's a lot of between the lines type of stuff, like where I think maybe if you're not actually in product, maybe you might miss some of it, but you could definitely get a sense of what's happening behind the scenes from the way he was talking. He's clearly very talented. I don't know him personally, but I thought I was very impressed with a lot of his answers. What I do think you highlight is a huge distinction between people who are excellent developers and people who actually can build products. I, if, when people ask me, you know, what I don't, I never say that I'm a software engineer because one, I don't have the CS degree and I don't consider myself that. But I do consider myself a developer. I consider myself a builder because I understand product. I've built a lot of products over my years. I understand the difference of that. So I would definitely consider myself an above average developer, but I really, but I understand product. I can't do the protocol stuff. I don't, I'm not at that level. I mean, nor do I really care to be, I guess, to, to be fair. Like I just, that's not my thing. And so I, I would love to see opportunities where, you know, someone from whether it's Pagoda or the Near Foundation directly to go to projects like ours and say, hey, can we talk about your roadmap? And, and not in a negative way, just say, hey, let me see what you guys are thinking. Because maybe that's where the synergies lay. Maybe that's where you say, oh, okay, hey, we're working with this group to bring them in through business development. How do we link you two together? Oh, you guys are thinking about doing X, Y, and Z. Let me let you in. Because one of my frustrations as a builder, as someone who is trying to actively put out a product that eventually will hopefully become a business, will allow me to hopefully quit my full-time job, and work on is that I sometimes feel like I don't know what's coming down the pipeline. I think I said this to you privately once before. Right? I don't know what's coming on the pipeline. I have no idea. So I'm building a no man's land and it's forcing me to make certain decisions about my product that maybe are not leveraging the full like power of near. So I would love to be able to have that dialogue. And that's again, going full circle. That's a little bit of where my post came from too. Of I don't, again, it's not about money. It's like, why are you not coming to me to have that dialogue and say, what are you guys trying to do? Not even just like, how can we help you? Just, hey, where do we fit together? Like, we're in this together. Because this is so different than the beginnings of Web2. And I've seen people and some people have even commented on my post of, oh, you wouldn't have done this with Amazon or Google. First off, that someone who doesn't really understand what actually goes on behind the scenes with a lot of these companies. Because there's absolutely examples of Apple, Google, and Amazon working with products to leverage their services early on to make sure that they had the best possible product and they absolutely showcase them. You can go back and you can watch all the old keynotes and everything else and you can see that. 
but it was a little bit different, right? The stakes were a little bit different. Here in Web3, again, there is a different aspect to when I say I am choosing to build on a particular infrastructure, that at this time, it is wrong to think that the whoever it is, whether it's a foundation or a governing body, whatever it is, has no, I guess, at, responsibility to their builders to participate in that. If they think that they can just do whatever and you say, oh, no, you wouldn't say that to Amazon or AWS, that's the wrong approach. That is just what it is. If that's the case, then this is going to fail. Web3 is going to fail. If that's the approach because it's too early and it's too tied up in old ways of thinking that in order to break that paradigm, in order to think of what actually is possible, I need an opportunity from these foundations, from the people who are in the deepest of the trenches to say, how do we do this together to get where we're going? Brilliantly put. These things are not controversial. Near Horizon exists to create that sort of synergy. I don't know whether right now, have you guys applied? Yeah, that's a a great example, right? So Near Horizon. So the first thing with Outlier Ventures, right, that, that popped up first in that accelerator program. I have a few different people I've talked through there and we were not a good fit. Like we were just like, we were, we're not full-time on this. Jared and I both have full-time jobs. So to go and accelerate didn't make a lot of sense. Now, if there is another path where it is more, you know, they asked us to like possibly be mentors because of our experience. And I'm cool with all that. I'm happy to be mentor. But when I think about my own stuff, like if there is another path of, hey, we can hook you up and try to help you with some of these partnerships and get you talking to other people, that was never presented to me. So I don't know where to seek that out. I don't know where. So that's where that disconnect comes from. I think that in the most ironic of ways, the challenge that we have now is that because the foundation and related entities have actually moved towards being much more professional, perhaps in a Web2 type of way, at least hiring people with experience from industry into specific roles. That's happened while the community has been left behind and it's a bit of a circus. That creates a really weird dynamic where technically there's a lot of people within, I mean, we've got like 20 business developers now by vertical. And some of them have been introduced in the town halls and from Kiyoki, Pagoda side, they've been told explicitly to go and engage with the community. What happens when these people go to the community? And as you say, it's all NDC Telegram chats. And it's all things that are not related to them. So I think that we probably need to find a middle ground where we proactively reach out to them or we try to identify them. Remember that the horrible reality is that you and I have been around for longer than most of the foundation employees. And that is not to diminish the role. That is to understand that we do have to work together. Yep, And I like when I go to conferences... Most of the time, actually, I look at the circle and I'm literally the only one that it's not a foundation, pagoda or proximity paid contributor. Doors are open. It's challenging and I'd say unfair that I am the only one that it's not a paid contributor and they share taxis with me and they buy me meals because I'm out of pocket tens of thousands by this time of the year from traveling. But there is no resistance from the inside. If anything, and we're going full circle, we have to police our own. We have to acknowledge the platform that we have. 
We have to acknowledge that if you are one of the few people building real product, we have to blast it out and inspire others. And we have to at least be the first line of defense and communicate internally within NDC and be like, hey, this is what I perceive. This is how I would improve it. I have a feeling that these challenges may be blocking progress further out. Sure. And I always remember this saying that when someone gets fired, it should never be a surprise to them. There needs to be A, it should be obvious to them that they're just not doing a job. And B, there should be conversations. There should be an opportunity to upskill. There should be mentorship provided. There should be warnings. Like we have a tendency, or perhaps the Web3 decentralized ecosystem has a tendency of leave things unattended for too long until the issue becomes big enough that it now impacts your lane. And then everyone's surprised. And if you're surprised, maybe it's not real. Maybe you're exaggerating. Like we need to become much better at communicating things early. And yeah, that's why I was so happy to see your tweet and especially the response to your tweet. Because when I saw your tweet before I went to sleep, it had 20 likes. And I was like, oh, this is doing great. When I wake up, 125 and all sorts of engagement. So I think you put into words what a lot of people have been feeling and experiencing. So... Yeah. Thank you for that. No, thank, and I will say to go back, and we talked about it earlier, and I called out that nobody on the governance side really spoke up against and counter-argued anything. There were multiple people from the Near Foundation who did reach out privately and said, I w- let's have a conversation. Like, your post, we get it. And so I do, I think you're right to say, and people who maybe who haven't been around as much in the bear market, it is a different atmosphere and it is a different group of people who are at the foundation level, especially, than it was previously. And it is definitely a different attitude and definitely a different approach to it. And the people who did reach out were extraordinarily welcoming and wanted to make sure that I did feel heard. And so I do really appreciate that. And so I do hope that we continue these conversations. But I wanted to make sure people understood that like it's not, it wasn't like it's just fallen on deaf ears. Clearly, there are people who do care. 100%. Look, my experience, and the reason why I try to be less hyperbole when I express myself is no one is horrible at their job. And if they were, the truth is they've been replaced by now. Right. Most people are giving it a fair go. And we're learning a lot of things as we go. And it may be easy to drill on something that clearly didn't work. Sure. But in reality, we've acknowledged it and we're trying to like course correct. There's definitely good people on the inside and people trying their best. And yeah. I think that accepts the DNDC as well. And that's why I come forward and give feedback. The issue with me has never been given the feedback. The unusual thing recently has been how the feedback has been treated. And mm. it's like a few different layers that come after that. But yeah, look, I agree with you. People are usually open to having these conversations. I do hope that they listen to the entire podcast to get the full narrative arc. Yeah. And by the way, this goes both ways. People with a role or a job probably have the best intentions and they're doing their best. They should be open to feedback and course correcting, but also the people providing feedback. We do it because we give a shit. We could have left the ecosystem like many others have, or we could be silent and not express ourselves like many other people do. I feel like even if somebody loses their shit because it's 3 a.m. and you live in Australia and you haven't had any sleep, Maybe just tell them like, hey, maybe sleep on this. We can talk tomorrow. 
never dismiss the grievance. Yep. And this shit that I've seen recently of scope creep. Now the GWG isn't talking about reputation and kudos. Now they are inserting misconduct. Have you seen that? Yes, I have. Yes. They keep yeah. referencing misconduct. And you know what misconduct is. Right. Of course. Have already <laughs> been accused of misconduct. And I told Blaze, Blaze, you're fit for running North Korea. This is not the system I'm engaging in because it should be crystal clear that if I go and do my shit, I'm adding value. Everyone praises me. Yep. If I come to the NDC, now you're talking about misconduct. I do not want to be part of that Orwellian game and manipulation. And look, there is scope for misconduct being punished. But these psychological attack on people, reminding them that misconduct will be looked at and you can lose whatever the fuck they were going to give you. Yeah. No, and that, that's the politics piece that I think is completely off-putting. And that is the part that it no longer... It really feels like we, you're losing your way at that point. It's what are we doing where if I can now go in and I can start accusing people of misconduct and I'm going to start going attacks and I don't like something you said or I have a beef with someone, that's my attack vector. That's just, we, we've lost touch at that point. And we lost focus to me on what are we trying to get to with a decentralized government and Again, like that's my complaint of what are we actually trying to achieve from this? Because right now, like we said earlier, I just feel like we're just trying to, I don't know, go through this exercise and experiment and it's just money wasted because there's no tangible output where I would just, again, I just want things to actually be in a setup that values, like you said, contribution and does not become into an attack on each other or anything else because like i said i think most people do mean i think most people are trying that's what's going to happen as soon as you piss somebody off they're going to come after you and they're going to use it as a weapon i think anyone who knows anything about history of politics knows what that means i don't want to invoke all kinds of scary terms and everything else but i think we know i think you can understand what that path becomes it's about trust totally do we have pathways for a community, anyone to come through and to prove who they are over time and to earn people's trust. This is what meritocracy is about, right? Yeah. Not only do you get the best person for the job, but you have the ability to demonstrate what you can do or you can grow into a role. We have trust issues. How many things have failed already because we delegated to a very small group of insiders because they could be trusted? Right. USN was a massive clusterfork, Kikimora Labs, Ukraine Hub. No one talks about it. Right. Because the people who delegated to the people who could not do the job but could be trusted are all core contributors delivering gold. But the reality is we could have, should have definitely put someone else there. And now we have the challenge where some people don't trust the foundation. True. Some people don't trust the NDC. And with such an important general election coming up, I can see how there is a benevolent dictator vibe where we can just rig it without deliberately rigging it just to make sure the right people get in. That's right. the vibe that I'm getting. And to be honest, if they want to do it, that's fine. If I trust the people rigging it to get the right people in, that's fine. And if they tell me, hey, you run and we'll rig it and you get in, be transparent about it. Yeah, yeah. Because my point is... 
as an objective bystander, the measures that are being put in place are going to literally fuck everyone in the ass. You can't rig it. Like you're basically enabling people to take advantage of a set of circumstances. But I've already seen at least two, probably three conflicting groups. Sure. And if this is going to be an election of who can rig it better, that's just going to be a disaster. And I just don't see how it ends because even if the bigger dog ends up rigging it better, we lose total legitimacy. You burn two-thirds of the ecosystem or whomever the other groups were. Like it's, you know what it reminds me of? I don't know if you know this. When the when they signed the I think it's called like the Bella Vesa agreements and they dissolved the Soviet Union legally, formally, and Russia has her first parliament and they have to pass the first constitution. The first parliament didn't pass the constitution. There was some shit fight. And the dude that was president at the time, Boris Yeltsin, sent the military and he forced them to pass the first constitution. And there is an iconic photo of the dude celebrating democracy and the birth of the new democratic country. He is standing on top of a tank holding the constitution that just passed. That's what this feels like. Yep. And look, there's a lot of parallels to history, I think, that you can start to put together. Even the start of the United States, like, just again, it was a lot of that same stuff, right? Who was actually put in place in the beginning and before there was actually a Congress and where they actually voted on the president and all those different things. And I get that. I get that's how it's part of how government works. And you need to have some of that. The challenge again here is that it's it feels too early. It feels the ecosystem feels too young. And it also it worries me, like you said, that you start alienating groups that, you know, are maybe we'll say more on the neutral good side that are now disenfranchised by it. And if you really fuck this up, then like it sets everything back further because then people are like, why would I ever trust any part of this? And so now until this actually goes away, I'm gone. We might never come back. So that's the challenge with all of that there too. There is a very interesting aspect about choosing which ecosystem to build on, assuming that all things are equal, yeah, which they may be in the future. To me, is like choosing a country to live in. A country where you're going to pay taxes in and you being in that country or not being in that country is going to have a difference on like the economic value being generated. Yeah. There are people in near, the distribution of near is very heavily concentrated, but it is also true that the foundation has over 100 million near that belong to the community and need to be distributed. There is an implicit understanding that the near needs to be redistributed to the contributors helping the network grow. It's not just early foundation employees. It's not just early core engineers. It's not just VCs. If you come in today and you bring 10 million users, guess what? Sweatcoin has been given over 10 million near. On what terms? Fuck me if I know, but everything is changed. Yeah, yeah. NF to them, they've got their validator, the minting just rewards over a million near per year. And that's fine. Because yeah, totally. they're the only putting transactions on the blockchain. Totally. There needs to be a way to fairly reward and attract people that are creating value for the blockchain. If the governance structures are not put in place, we're risking that balance where people suddenly feel like, fuck these guys. Does it feel like I'm putting like a disproportionate weight on my back, carrying the risk and creating the value 
to be given fucking two and a half thousand dollars a month, I could literally go drive an Uber and buy near if I want to, and I'll be buying more than that. Am I generating more than two and a half thousand dollars a month of value to this network? What's your total market cap now? One billion? Where are the people where we assume the challenge of taking this to a hundred billion? Total market cap, one billion users, real products, a narrative where it is not a doubt in anyone's head that Neo is the best place to build. Totally. And it becomes a self-selective mechanisms of, am I ambitious enough? Do I have a good enough idea? Is the timing and the market right? Do those people give them fucking any amount of money? I don't give a shit. Lock the near right. till whatever metrics you come up with. Like, that's the aggressive ambition that we just don't have. I only see aggressive ambition from people wanting to take as much money, like short term. Sure. Yep. Yeah, listen, you, I think we're very aligned on, on a lot of this. And that is something that, again, like Jared and I have both said, both publicly and privately, about the, there are opportunities to actually really reward people and incentivize people in ways that are not just straight cash, right? And so, yeah, we have a validator. And so why can't you say we're going to we're gonna lock X amount of near on your validator and allow you to gain some of these re rewards, just like Sweatcoin is doing? Like why or why can't it be here are milestones you have to hit? Hey, I don't I think the wrong approach always is right now is that the assumption that when you hear the word grant, everyone just thinks free money. And if you start to change that, if you do have this community fund that you do have to distribute, I think a lot of chains are in the same boat. This is not a near problem. This is a crypto problem. That, yeah, if you change the incentives, if you change how you then approach some of that stuff, whether it is through letting people spin up their own validator and staking it, whether it's something even just like, hey, we're going to build in milestone tranches that you have to hit. And hey, that's what we came here for, the smart contracts. This is all code, right? Like why, like just, I, I hit a certain amount of transactions on my contract. Great, this unlocks. Like why, I don't, I guess I get lost in, if we're trying to do things different, why are we still then just focused on, here's your straight cash. I want straight money. That's the part that I just, I have we a hard time. East. At the right levels, that's how it works. Yeah. Go read the post from Hiren or some shit like that. This grunted validator last year. You laid it out. These are all the validators with 100% fees. Don't want to discourage anyone from joining. And he breaks down how many of them got the money directly from the foundation. To this day, I am not aware the foundation ever said to whom they gave the money or on what terms. Some of them, the name you can tell. There's some agreements there. Sure. But yeah. Once again, like the issue is that level available for everyone. And if it's not, how can we create fair ways to reward everyone at the level where they're at? I personally liked the uh, Stake Wars. It was a clusterfuck organization, but it was an example of a fair way to enable anyone to be trained, grow, prove that they're able to do it, and then be given a validator. And perhaps you wasn't worth as much at the time. But I think beginning of stake, whereas it would have been like a $200,000 delegation. Now, maybe less, but it's still a pathway. And I think that we need more. One of the ideas that I discussed with Yoki is like the app mining idea. Same. This is where the socialist versus meritocracy element always breaks down. Do we want to have a set of incentives where you steer people in a direction? Yes, of course it's hard. Of course. And we may not get there and no one gets paid. 
Yeah. My point is, and this goes for everything, by the way, and I've been thinking about it for regional leaders. Accessing money from the community treasury is a privilege, not a right. It's mm -hmm. not there for everyone. It's there to attract the best people to get the best outcome. That's our secret weapon. Yeah. I'm even thinking, would it make sense to tie how much near can the community distribute by the value of near? Near under two bucks, no community treasury money. Fuck everyone. Near about five bucks, 50 million. 10 bucks, 100 million. There needs to be a way where we marry the amount of money going out because the free market does this, by the way. When you're shilling horribly on Twitter, people say, oh, he's just shilling his bags. He may well be. He's got skin in the game. Sure. If I put $10,000 in and I want to get more than $10,000 out, <laughs> I'll do whatever it takes. Absolutely. How the fuck do we not have that with people that are literally being given the coins? Given the coins are free. Oh, and you're not out there doing everything you can to help Nier grow? That's insane. That is insane. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, listen, the incentives are not, that still needs to get figured out. And again, I do, I give, especially the Near Foundation, the benefit of the doubt during this transition that it, this stuff does take time. And, the, and that's where, again, for me, where it gets discouraging because the focus seems to be on this governance piece when I would rather see some creative ideas start to come out of the foundation directly instead of putting it in the hands of people who are incentivized differently. Because you, I, and the millions of people listening at home, yes. there's uh, three downloads from Switzerland, by the way. Nice. We have a challenge. First, we have to inject life into DevHub. It's pretty. This community's there. It's crazy to me that you guys organize a Keepem hackathon. You own the Telegram channel where there is activity of people building and supporting each other. Let's find ways to make sure that community activity is captured yep. by the dev hub. And ideally, what I want to see is a thriving activity where when I meet meetups, I can refer them to. and know that they're going to be met with smart, ambitious, inspiring people, and that can grow. Because yep. it's all too easy to blame governance for whatever they may be falling short. Sure. We have the right not to choose to participate on that, but build something else. Give them something to complain about. <laughs> so that's one. On the content side, I think there's a few proposals going around and I would support all of them. The Boss Builder Club, I think there's a very strong synergy with what BuilderDAO is doing and a very strong synergy with what Jared has messaged me about. Okay. Let's make sure that we do get more of that out. Obviously, everyone's playing to the strengths. I'm more on the ideation side get people to think sky blue ideas and then sort of reverse engineer how it could look on near hypothetically. Yeah. But obviously for the more technical people, just go deep. I actually just helped plug create a marketing doubt proposal to pay people to do code reviews and oh, just nice. like increase yeah. that amount of content. And yeah, I guess that the other thing for me would be an open call to anyone listening. If you have any ideas, definitely reach out to us. The odds are stacked against just because engineers by default don't like to be too public or communicate with humans in general, perhaps, but we definitely do have more bandwidth to just put out ideas or, or connect with the right people. Yeah. I love that aspect of it. There are, and there are some people who are though on near who are very comfortable getting out there and talking. I'm certainly one of them. I'm happy to, I want people 
to feel comfortable to reach out. If you do have these type of questions, if you do look for support, it's one of those things where I can't, I wish I had more time in the day, but I'll never turn somebody away who has something real. And I hope there's more people who hear this, who are like me, who feel comfortable being able to do that. Because I think that piece of it, code reviews, the mentorship, those are things that start to really build a strong community around what we have available here at NIR. I don't know whether it is that we have maybe like the perfect time zone, like my mornings or evenings or something, but I'm not exaggerating when I say that there isn't a time of the day when I've messaged you and you reply within like minutes. Yeah. That's my own sleeping problems, but yeah, yeah no. The way it doesn't work, it's yeah. amazing. I love it, but I think it may not be healthy. <laughs> no, it's probably not healthy. It's, it's actually definitely not healthy. But no, I guess for myself, I, where sleeping patterns aside, not just we're friends, we have a close relationship, so it's a little bit different, but I'm like that with everybody because I think it's important for people to make sure that they feel heard and that if they're looking for something that we can provide it. And that is something that Jared and I have really tried to do with Ready Layer One in our podcast and our content. And then I think especially just as a developer, I just, I want people to hopefully feel comfortable always reaching out. And so hopefully we start to see more of that. You're making me feel terrible because sometimes I'm a little bit, a little bit slow on the reply side. Oh, no. I'm gonna, <laughs> I can Sir Joe, I am so happy and grateful that you guys are in the ecosystem. One of the most important aspects of culture is that sense of belonging. When you go to a place, are the vibes right? Are there smart people that I can talk to? Are there ambitious people that I can support in what the building? There's just, some of them can be very, what's the word, subjective. It's not just all the code on chain. And I may be blowing my own horn here. That's all the things, but I do feel like Relay One and WePod play a big role in having like a near native media. And we can get to know people much deeper. We can get to know projects. Even now, it feels weird if it's like just in your town hall mm -hmm. and you never hear from someone outside of the town hall. Like I like the idea of, sure, the foundation and any other avenue supporting projects officially. But I also think that it's very important for people to feel like they're not alone. There's other people out there building and you know where to find them. There's people out there creating content and you know where to find them. And it comes down to that reputation and branding issue. When you go to an event and you say that you are in the near ecosystem, do you feel belittled or do you feel like there should be a sense of pride? Yeah. You're riding in the shoulders of giants. Yeah. That's, you really, I think, nailed the sentiment there. We selfishly started the podcast because like we wanted to learn from other projects. Like we wanted to get in there. Like when I, I love when we do interviews and we get to meet because it's an opportunity for me to learn more about what's going on in the ecosystem, right? It's, it's one of those, my favorite things about that, of not just being able to highlight someone else, but also I just want to ask you a question. Let me like, it gets me to have these conversations that normally I wouldn't be able to have. And you're right. Like, I think you, I'm, I know you see it too, is it becomes this broader sense, both community and camaraderie as you start to have these different people and projects on your show. And then you get to follow along. And that is, again, like you said, that beginnings of that community that pulls that all, all together. And having, I think, two different type of podcasts has really been awesome because 
it's really given opportunities for people to see all different sides of this because it can be lonely. This is the internet. I don't know. I don't have anybody who lives geographically near me that I know that is even really in crypto, <laughs> never mind like near. So it can feel isolating. But I go online and I know so many people and I have all these conversations and I am privileged enough to have a podcast that brings the people on and it feels more homey than it does isolating. That's amazing. I know that podcasts are not for everyone or some people may not have gotten into them yet. Yeah. But as someone that started listening to podcasts heavily in 2016, so it's been a long time, it's incredible to me to see the impact that they can have. Like some of the most powerful media that we have now are all podcasters. Joe Rogan, Tim Ferriss, Alex Friedman, the All In Podcasts, The Knowledge Project, all people that I've been listening to, by the way, for years now. Totally. And there's a few elements there. One is to be able to own even just a little bit of that space. You know how powerful it is that your podcast comes up right in between a Joe Rogan one and a Tim Ferriss one? To have near occupy a little bit of my day, I may be listening to podcasts while I'm cleaning the house or going for a run or whatever. Sure. That's great. And for the people that listen to podcasts, that makes a big difference. And when you meet someone who listens to podcasts, now you have something to recommend to them to be able to understand and hopefully enjoy the near ecosystem at the same level as you do. Yep. I think it's extremely valuable. I, I am, despite everything that we talked about so far, I am actually very positive and very excited about the future. This is not a, a negative. Yeah, this was definitely, while we have our gripes, we're far from being negative on everything. I'm bullish mostly because... I know we're in a silent majority. Ecosystems and nature have very interesting ways of healing. So yeah, something that I'm exercising myself sometimes just take some days off from any governance related issues and go mm -hmm. back to building or creating yeah. content about building. And that helps rebalance <laughs> things. And, and I think Absolutely. that people appreciate it. And this is an experiment and. Ideally, we'll, go, we'll keep learning and iterating. Worst case scenario, it dies. But the most important challenge that we have is to not to let it drag down the ecosystem. Jared put it beautifully at the very beginning, which is something, by the way, that I also mentioned with Kyoki. We cannot let it be this force that pulls everything in. Sure, everyone should know what's going on or engage with it on an as-need basis. But yeah, we cannot let it distract us from building and especially if things are going wrong i've always said the dev hub was very strategic to technically be a grassroots DAO, but it never was really put under the ndc if ndc dies yeah. in two months time web hub is not going anywhere so I, I think that's a level of resilience that we need understand that some people can do governance they may succeed they may fail they may improve or whatever we still need to build like we are a builder's blockchain absolutely it's product or perish Sums it up perfectly. Yep, absolutely. Joe, thanks so much. Jesus, oh, what us. a gangster podcast we have here. <laughs> this is serious business here. No, this was great. Thank you so much for having us. It's nice to be on the other side of it. That's the end of another episode. As always, I just want to thank you for listening because let's be honest, you are amazing. And I also want to remind everyone that everything contained in this episode is for entertainment and educational purposes only. 
Nothing on this podcast shall be construed as financial, medical, or any other type of advice, and you should always consult with licensed professionals before making any financial decisions. Make sure that you like and subscribe so that you stay up to date with the latest episode. We've got a steamy hot pipeline of guests that will keep you entertained right through the bear market. Stay safe out there, and I'll see you soon. Bye.